Probably the most impactful moments, I think, of walking with Jesus must have been the times when um, broken human nature just reacts, you know, like moments like that. But Jesus maintains his composure. In the face of rejection, um, the disciples fire back with insults or like Peter, they draw their swords. But Jesus moves toward sinners with patient kindness. Jesus was unoffendable. And for me, that's been one of the biggest things about his character in recent days that um, has been such a challenge. I imagine those um, must have been some of the most transformational moments of walking with him day in and day out is to see that he couldn't be offended. And even in the face of rejection, he offered kindness and love. Well, we too are being changed as we behold Christ. As we see him and are captivated by this man, we're being transformed to see him, to hear and believe him, to treasure him, to be changed by him. This is the aim. It's the goal. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold Christ, it's a bit like looking in the mirror and seeing our own deficits come to the surface. His glory highlights our failures, our weaknesses. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't got a copy of it, we have some out on the table. We'll be glad to give to you. Um, Reading this together, I'm seeing um, so many things about the heart of Jesus that I think are just amazing. Um, And at the same time, I'm seeing how I'm so unlike him. And I imagine that's probably the case for you as well. But to all who come to Christ, to all who come to him, he is gentle and lowly. He is filled with grace for repentant sinners. And that's good news because all of us are sinners, right? And we need to come to Christ in that way. Well, Somehow, I still tend toward thinking that judgment and guilt are better tools of transformation. And that seems to be the way I treat people sometimes. I treat my children that way sometimes, my wife. But that's not true. And I see how Christ deals with the brokenness of humanity with grace and truth. I long to be more like him. I trust that for you, God is doing the same work in your heart, chiseling away some of your rough edges transforming us one degree at a time. So that's, that's our goal. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews and um, uh, let's look together at the heart of Christ, who he is, what he's like. Um, as we turn together, remember the main theme of the book of Hebrews is really summed up in these three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The writer of Hebrews calls us to consider Jesus, the true and better prophet. That'll be our focus today. The ultimate high priest and the eternal king. So uh, let's stand and read together and then you can be seated for a while. So we're going to read from Hebrews. I'd like for us just to look at Hebrews chapter one, the first couple of verses, and then we'll flip to Hebrews three and read all of it. And a few verses of chapter 4. 
Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Flip with me to chapter 3, if you will. Beginning in the beginning of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked? With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. That's good news, right? Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us today to hear your voice? Behold you as the Son of God. Help us, Lord, not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin in this life, but by your grace to strive in faith to enter your rest. 
And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a very rich text, and we are going to run quickly through some very deep waters, okay? So I encourage you, uh, if you if you have a copy of the worship guide and you're taking some notes, uh, that would be great. You may want to jot things down as we go because we're going to move quickly this morning um, so as to try to cover a lot of ground. <clears throat> Here's the big overarching truth this morning. Jesus is the true and better prophet. Jesus is the true and better prophet. Writer of Hebrews opens this book and he wants us to see the continuation and fulfillment of the role of prophet. The book opens by telling us that God spoke to the fathers in many ways. Through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So if you're taking notes, first big truth is this. God has spoken through his son. What we see here is that God is a speaking God, right? God speaks and he has spoken through Jesus. Big question. What is God saying through Jesus? What is his message? What is the message Jesus came to give? Well, that's where we're headed today. So hang on. That's where we're going. But first, let's get there. The role of a prophet is primarily to reveal God, to reveal God to the people. He reveals God's intentions, God's character, his commands. There could be no one better to reveal God than God himself. So God sent his very own son. God sent his son and Jesus came speaking only the words of God. This is something huge. A prophet is, he doesn't speak his own words. When he stands before the people in a prophetic office, he doesn't just give opinion. He speaks the words of God. And in many ways, this ought to be the way preachers preach today. Rather than stand on a podium or behind a platform and give opinions and lofty thoughts and ideas from their own heads, we ought to read the words of God and say, thus says the Lord, right? So in many ways, this is the way preachers should preach is to hold and stand in the role of a prophet in some ways. But Jesus very strictly held to this rule. In the role of prophet, this is what Jesus said on your notes. I've given you these verses, but I'm going to read them quickly. Just through the gospel of John, Jesus said this. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. John 7, 16. The one who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Jesus said, John 8, 26. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own. But the father who dwells in me does his work. John 14, 10. The word you hear is not mine, but from the father who sent me. John 14, 24. For I have not spoken on my own, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the father has told me. John 12, 49 and 50. And lastly, John 17, 8, 
For I gave them, talking about Jesus' disciples, I gave them, Father, the words you gave me. And they've accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. So the role of a prophet is to reveal God by speaking on God's behalf. And Jesus makes it clear all through the scriptures, especially in John's gospel, that he doesn't speak on his own authority, although he had plenty of authority. He speaks on the authority of the father. He says, I only say what he's told me to say. I only speak what he's given me to say. So here's what we need to establish is that there's no one better to reveal God or speak on God's behalf than the son of God. Right. And at the same time, listen, there's no one better to represent humanity to God than a human. And guess what? Jesus is both. Look at Hebrews chapter three in verse one. And you'll notice it says to consider Jesus. And it says two things about him. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, probably when you hear the word apostle, you think maybe of the 12 apostles. I know I do. But apostle, generally speaking, means sent one. Now, Jesus sent out his 12 apostles, but before he sent them, he was the first apostle, right? Jesus said, as the father has sent me, so now I send you. So Jesus was, in that sense, an apostle sent by God to represent God to men, to reveal God to men. So he's an apostle. He was sent to reveal God and rescue sinners. But he came as a baby. That's what this time of year is all about. He grew into manhood so that when the time came, he could stand before God as a representative of all men. So look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He is the apostle, the, the, the revealer, representative of God, speaking on behalf of God, the, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus, listen, reveals God to men and represents men before God. Isn't that incredible? Consider Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says. Now, I love the way the NIV says this, this phrase, especially. It says this, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Church, that's what we mean when we say behold him. We mean to take your thoughts captive and fix them on Jesus. To be gripped by this reality that he was sent by God to reveal God. And he stands on our behalf to represent us before God. Hold that in your thoughts. Treasure that truth about Christ. God speaks through his son. Second big truth. Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, if Christ is better, and that is the theme of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better. If he's better than anybody else, if he's to show that the new covenant 
is better than the old system, the Old Testament um, Jewish patterns. If Jesus is to prove that he's better, then this new and better covenant must have a better mediator. And so the writer of Hebrews begins to show how Jesus is better. In chapter one, he says that Jesus Christ is better than everybody and everything. It's kind of all inclusive. In chapter two, he says Jesus Christ is better than the angels. In chapter three, Jesus is better than Moses. Chapter four, Jesus is better than Joshua. And then Jesus is better than Aaron and Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices and on and on and on and on. The book of Hebrews goes. Jesus is better. You need nothing else. But you must have Jesus. So why does the writer of Hebrews bring up Moses here? Why Moses? Well, Moses was the hero of the Old Covenant. Moses is such a main character of the Old Covenant. His name is actually used in synonymous use with the law. Jesus in John 5 told the Pharisees, you look to Moses for your hope. What he meant was you look to the scriptures, you look to the law, you look to your your ability to keep the law for your hope. And he said in John 5, but you don't realize that Moses was writing about me. Well, why Moses? Well, think about how Moses' life, his very life, is a shadow of Christ. Moses' very life is a pointer to the coming Jesus. We call this typology. Moses is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. God spared his life as a baby, just as God spared the life of Jesus as a baby. God spoke to him in a burning bush. God liberated the Jews from slavery in Egypt. Through Moses, Moses parted the Red Sea. Moses gave to them the law of God. He wrote the the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. He established the sacrificial system and their ceremonial customs. He met with God face to face in the temple or in the tabernacle so that when he came out of there, his face was shining, had to wear a veil. People were afraid to talk to him. The Jew loves Moses. He's the founder of their faith. All that he gave them, they hold to it so tightly. He's the star of the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews does not speak of Moses as a failure. No, it speaks of him as a faithful servant. But why Moses? Well, he was the hero of the Old Testament, but also Moses promised a greater prophet would come. And one like Moses, but greater has come. Look with me at Deuteronomy 18. You can look at it, I think, on the screen. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 Look at what Moses promises to the people. He says, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen. And then in verse 18, I will raise up, God says, 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Does that sound a bit like what Jesus said through the Gospel of John? I only say what the Father has commanded me to say. My words are his words. Hmm. Well, this prophecy from Deuteronomy 18 became a, uh, a pillar of messianic prophecy for the Jews. They believed there was one coming who was going to be like Moses, but greater. He would do some of the works of Moses. He would preach and teach and prophesy like Moses. He would speak on behalf of God to the people like Moses. He would go on behalf of the people before God like Moses. He would give to the people the commands and the laws and the rules of God. He would judge over the people like Moses. God had promised there is one coming who will be like you, but greater. When Jesus began doing some of his miracles, many people said he must be the prophet. Now, listen, that article, the is very important. The prophet, not just a prophet, the prophet. And what they're saying when they say that is he's the prophet Moses talked about. I'll give you two examples in John chapter six, after Jesus fed the five thousand. In verse 14, the people said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In Luke chapter seven, after Jesus raised the widow's son back to life, the crowds glorified God and said, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. Well, the writer of Hebrews is painting a contrast for us between a faithful servant and the son of God. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Jesus is faithful as the builder of God's house, the holy son of God. Jesus is greater. Little game of Moses versus Jesus, if you will. Moses was a man. Jesus, the God man. Moses was a sinner who was judged for his own sin. Remember, he struck the rock and God judged him. Jesus was sinless, but was judged for the sins of those he came to save. Moses turned the Nile River into blood, unclean and unusable. But Jesus' first miracle was turning water into the best wine ever tasted. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt, but he failed to lead them into the promised land. Jesus leads all who come to him out of slavery to sin and takes them all the way to the promised land. Moses came down from the mountain, meeting with God, came with the law of God. And that day, 3,000 people were crushed under the weight of God's judgment. Jesus ascended on high, met with the Lord and sent down his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And 3,000 people were given life as sin's guilt was lifted. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is the one Moses prophesied about. Moses led the people to trust 
that God was delivering them from their suffering and into a place of promise, the Canaan land. And the writer of Hebrews here is using history to both teach us and warn us. This Canaan land was a place flowing with milk and honey. Remember that? The people of God had endured backbreaking labor, terrible oppression. If you remember, the Pharaoh had raised their quota of making bricks and wouldn't even give them pay to do it with. They, they were under incredible slavery and oppression. But finally, through Moses the Deliverer, they could enter into God's rest. The promise of Hebrews, the promise the writer is talking about here is rest. Isn't that interesting? A promise of rest. Don't miss that. <clears throat> but even after the people of Israel had seen God work through 10 amazing plagues to set them free from Egypt. I mean, frogs and flies and locusts and darkness and the, the, the Passover um, death angel and so on and many others. Even after seeing all of that, even after watching God part the Red Sea by the hand of Moses and walking through on dry ground just to get to the other side and turn and look and watch God drown your adversaries. Then to have God provide for them in the wilderness. Manna from heaven. This bread like substance that just was there every morning. Wake up and there's something to eat. Or water from a rock. Moses spoke to a rock and water comes gushing out. God was working to both provide and protect and deliver his people. And he's walking them to the promised land. The rest of God is on the way. They get on the precipice of God's rest. And they still don't believe him. God told him he was going to give them this land. But they didn't have the faith to lay hold of it. You remember the story. They sent the spies in to see the land. The 12 spies came back and 10 of them said, oh, it's beautiful. But there's big people there. I mean, they're big. We can't do this. And only Joshua and Caleb said, oh, we can because God is with us. We can do this. God is with us. We must believe that God has promised and he will provide. Look at what he's done. We can. We can. But the majority of the ten outnumbered the voice of Josh, Joshua and Caleb. The people of God chose not to believe the God who had already delivered them from so much. Well, the Holy Spirit, through the book of Hebrews, is using this story to teach us who Christ is and warn us to trust Him. We should receive His words today. I wonder if you noticed it when, uh, when the writer of Hebrews went to quote uh, Psalm 95. He says this interesting phrase. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. Well, that's incredible because what he's doing here is he's taking 
the psalm written by David. And he's saying the Holy Spirit actually wrote that. And he wrote it about the thing David was talking about. But he wrote it about this future rest. It's really incredible to see how the Holy Spirit inspires his scripture. All those things written thousands of years ago are written for us today. And what he says repeatedly, the Holy Spirit now says repeatedly to us is this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, what is he saying? And this brings me to the final and big truth of this text. Jesus speaks and we must listen. Jesus is the prophet that Moses foretold. The words of Jesus carry the power of life and death, salvation or judgment. Those who listen to Jesus believe and obey will be saved. Those who don't will be destroyed. Do you remember what Peter said in Acts chapter three? I'm sure you do. We preached through that not long ago and you guys remember every bit of it, right? Yeah. In case you've forgotten, Sarah is on it. Look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. He said, the Lord, he said, Moses said, so now Peter's talking about Moses. What in the world? All this about Moses. Isn't it crazy how Moses points us to Christ? Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be. That every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Whoa. Now, Peter is preaching his second sermon. The first one saw 3000 people saved and baptized. And this is his second sermon after healing the man by the uh, by the gate of the temple. And he's preaching in this one. Ultimately, he's going to see another Several thousand people come to faith in Christ. But he says this, essentially the same thing the writer of Hebrews is saying. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus speaks and you must listen. If you don't listen, you will be destroyed. The Holy Spirit is both teaching us who Christ is, the greater prophet, And he's saying the words he brings will either save you or judge you. Life or death, it all hangs on how you respond at your heart. Is it hardened or softened by the words of Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus Christ? Reject him and die forever. Receive him. And as John 1 says, you have the right to be called the children of God. There's life and death in the words of Jesus. How we respond to Jesus determines our eternity. Think, if you will, when Jesus took James, Peter and John, those three that were his closest, and they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9, verse 35. You 
you see that scene where Jesus is lifted up. He just sort of levitates. His clothes turn bright white. There's a glow. There's a cloud, a loud noise, a thunder maybe. And then Moses and Elijah, the lawgiver and the prophet, the law and the prophets shows up with Jesus. And then a voice from heaven. Much like at Jesus' baptism, the father said at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased, right? That was what the father said at Jesus' baptism. This is very similar in Luke 9, 35. The father speaks, a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my son, my chosen one. Now listen to these last three words. Listen to him. A direct command, a three word command from God. You must listen to him. At one time I spoke through the prophets, but now I'm speaking through my son. And you must listen to Jesus. Well, what does Jesus say? This is where we've been driving this whole message. If Jesus is the true and better prophet, what is his message? What does he say to you? We know he came with more than a message to reveal God. He came as the God man to rescue and reconcile men to God. He calls us to himself. This is the message of Jesus. He calls sinners to come to him. Think of Zacchaeus. Hey, get out of that tree. Let's go have dinner. Come to me. Think of Matthew, the tax collector. Get out of your tax booth. Come and follow me. Simon Peter on the boat fishing. Come and follow me. And I'll teach you to fish for men. Jesus is calling sinners to come to him. It's not just to come and hear a sermon or a prophetic word, but to come to him. There are many places in the Bible we could go to point to Jesus's message. But I want to take you to one. In Matthew 11, 28, 29 and 30, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. The promise of the Hebrews that didn't get into the Canaan land, what did they miss out on? Rest. Why did they not get rest? Because they didn't believe the word of God. Jesus comes with the word of God and he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's not, a, it's not a physical rest he invites us to. Make no mistake, the rest of Christ is uh, filled with work. 
And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest that Jesus is talking about is a soul rest. It's an internal rest. It's an eternal rest. It's a kind of rest within that sets you at peace, a peace that the world doesn't know, doesn't understand. It's a kind of peace that sings in jail, right? It's a kind of peace that in the storm it sleeps. It's a kind of peace that only Jesus can give. Internal rest. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus is promising an eternal soul rest to be with him forever in the forever promised land. So this invitation is for you today and me today. And today, if you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The word today, the writer of Hebrews uses, is gives a sense of urgency, doesn't it? A sense of urgency. Many people in Kentucky and Arkansas and other places didn't expect this weekend to be their last. You are not promised tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit says to you today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Be softened. You must listen to Jesus. His words will save you or judge you. So what does it mean to come to me? That sounds super simple, oversimplified. Let me just give you the basic essence of what that means. To come to Jesus, to come to him. Here's what it means. First, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. He alone can rescue you. He alone can give you rest. You must believe he's the Christ. He's Jesus, the savior of the world. Believe Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, admit your need for salvation. Look at what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You must admit that there's a burden on you you cannot handle. Listen to me. You do not want to be responsible for your soul. Give it to Jesus. Admit your need for salvation. Third, lay down all other hope. All other hope. My good works. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a hard worker. Got good work ethic. I don't cuss too much. Quit drinking yesterday. I'm okay. Lay down all of that and take up the yoke of Christ. You can't take up his yoke if you carry in your own. He says, take my yoke upon you. Lay down all your other hope and come to Christ. Fourth, learn from him. This is an invitation to relationship. Do you get that? He's saying Come to me and learn from me. You're the learner. He's the master. What better master could you ever have than the king of kings, the prince of peace, the Lord of lords. And he is inviting you to be his student. Learn from him. And lastly, trust 
his promises. The writer of Hebrews says they did not enter the rest because they did not believe. We must believe the promise of Christ is true. We must believe that what he says he will do. We must believe him. Trust his promises. Live at rest. Soul rest. Internal and eternal. Christian. This is for you. It's for you. I'm not just preaching a gospel that's for unbelievers. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. He says, take care, brothers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Listen to me. We Christians must continue to trust in Christ. We must continue to persevere, believing him. Every day dying to ourselves, taking up his yoke and following every day. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But certainly in the room, if you've never come to Jesus, come today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Give yourself to Jesus today.